Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. All right, well, let's take a seat, take your Bible. We're going to be in John chapter 1 this morning. As we, uh, Sarah said, we're wrapping up uh, this Who's Your One series this morning uh, by simply um, looking at the impact that one life can have on another life. Um, now, I, I realize most of you came in this way this morning, right? So that means you, didn't, you probably didn't see out, but uh, right out this, uh, to your left, this, this back door back here, as soon as you walk out, there's a bulletin board, and on there it says, who's your one? And you're going to see all these little uh, strips of paper. Those are the ones that you've turned in, in, in the little wicker basket that we had. Those are all the names uh, that we got. Now, all I put on there is the, the first name, and then if we had one, a last initial. All right, and, and out there you'll see a couple of uh, different colors of pens. So you'll see blue pens and green pens. Now, now this is where you have to pay attention, okay, because it might get tricky. So we've color-coordinated it, okay? So, so here's what we're going to do. If, if your one's out there and you've, you've, you've had a chance to pray with them or you've had a chance to, to you know, initiate a conversation about the gospel on there, that's what a blue pen's for, okay? So you want to put a blue pen on there. That'll let us know, hey, this person has, uh, th- I've, I've shared the gospel with them, you know, I've had, I've had coffee with them, I did lunch with them, um, something along those lines. We've, I've, I've started this conversation, okay? So that's a blue pen. Put that on there. That'll let us know, hey, we want to pray that, that God will continue softening this person's heart that, and that, that you'll have the, uh, the opportunity to continue sharing. And then here's the really exciting part. You'll see green pins. What we're going to do is we're going to put green pins on there. If, if you're able to lead your one to, to faith in Christ, we want to, we want to tag those with, with green out there. Now, now ideally, if you, you know, if you lead someone to Christ, we, we hope that you will bring them here as well, right? And, and uh, we want to rejoice with you. We'd like to talk with them about baptism, about taking that first step of, of obedience and following Christ as, uh, and, and obeying his command to, to be baptized. And so that's, that's what that bulletin board is. There are also some extra um, the little strips out there. So maybe you've, not, um, maybe you've not put your name up there yet, or maybe there's someone that you've met since we started this whole series over the past five weeks. And, and God's laid someone else on your heart, and you say, you know what, I want to add them to our, to our bulletin board. Listen, nothing would thrill me more than if we, had to fill, if we filled that bulletin and bulletin board. We, in fact, if we had to go to, like, to the next bigger one, right, right next to it, across the hall there, it would be amazing. Okay? That, that's just going to remind us that we are called to be people who are sharing the gospel. And as we've looked at this last month, at the power, the, the value, the significance of one, it's the same, it's the same concept we're going to look at this morning. Now, uh, the title is It's a Wonderful Life, right? Which hopefully, um, if you're saved, reminds you of a certain Christmas movie, okay? So, um, <laughs> right? And now, think about real quick the, the premise of that movie. George Bailey uh, finds himself not quite where he thought he would be. Life's not going Right? And so he wishes that he had never been born. And God, in his immense mercy, grants his wish through the uh, blessing of a rather inept angel named Clarence. Okay? Now, I would, I would encourage you to not get your theology from Hollywood. Okay? Don't, don't let Francis Ford Coppola um, determine your theology. But, but Clarence sets about showing George 
what the town of Bedford Falls would be like without him there. The whole movie centers around the question of what is the significance of one life. And in the end, George comes to realize that he realizes the effect that he's had on everyone, and he is no longer bitter, he's no longer um, angry about his station in life. In fact, if you remember, he's, when, when the little knob comes off of the banister, right, he, he's overjoyed because that means that everything's been set right again. And even though it's broken, it's, it's right. What's the value of one life? This morning, we're going to look in John chapter 1. So if you will, take your Bible, turn there with me. We're going to pick up uh, we're actually going to pick up in, let's, let's pick up in verse 29. How about that? We'll, we'll get a running start into our, um, into our passage this morning. So let's stand as we read the word the Lord's given to us this morning. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he rested on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for the blessing of your word. And I pray that you'll open our hearts and our minds to hear from you this morning. That your word will change our actions and our attitudes where it's necessary. Above all, this morning, I pray that we would be like Andrew, who found one person. And shared the good news of Jesus with that one person. And through that conversation, through that one person, you accomplished so much. May may we not underestimate the significance of the ones that you've placed on our hearts. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. Now, we really don't know that much about Andrew himself. We know that he was Peter's brother. We we know that he was a fisherman. 
And that's about it, okay? At least as far as what we know from the Bible. But we know from our story here this morning, from, from this passage, that after Andrew met Jesus, he went and he found his brother, Simon Peter, and told him about Jesus and brought him to Jesus. Through that conversation, Peter ends up becoming a follower of Jesus, and we know much about Peter. We know much in the, in the scriptures about Peter's influence, and in his influence in the early church as one of the key leaders after Christ ascends into heaven. And it all started because Andrew was faithful to do what he felt like he needed to do, to, to share the good news of Jesus. Now, now what I love about this is, is uh, look, at this, look at this conversation, right? It's not, like, it's not long and drawn out. He doesn't have like 14 points why I believe Jesus is the Messiah. He just simply says, we have found the Messiah. And he brought Simon to Jesus. So you know how I think this went? And Andrew, in his excitement, goes and finds Peter and says, Peter, I think, I think we've found the Messiah. And Come and see. Come and see. You, you come, figure it out for yourself. But I think we've found the Messiah. I just want you to come check it out. And Jesus, when he sees him, says, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. What's the significance of one? What's the significance of Andrew having one conversation with See, Andrew himself, as I said, we don't know that much about. In fact, he only appears in the New Testament nine times, and most of those references just mention his name. He's included in the list of the disciples. That's it, Andrew. Sometimes he's even called Andrew Simon Peter's brother. I I mean, I don't want to cause any trauma for, you know, lesser siblings here, but anybody else? (laughs) So see, as the New Testament progresses, Andrew moves into the background. But let us not forget that Andrew introduced Peter to Jesus. And listen, even with as little as we know about Andrew, is that not enough to tell us the significance that he has, the significance of one conversation? Now, I like this. Uh, Andrew's name means manly. All right, I love that. So, you know, parents-to-be, you know, if you're, if, you're, if you're looking for a good name for a child, just name him Manly, right? There you go. We know he's a, he was a fisherman, which means he was probably uh, pretty strong, right? Um, Andrew encountered Jesus himself, so let's not miss that, that, that in order to be able to share Jesus with someone else, you have to encounter him yourself. And then, as his disciples, we are called to go and to share. And we're told that Andrew and John become Jesus' first disciples. They immediately go out and start sharing with others. 
So really quickly, we're just going to look at some things that we see here in what we know from Andrew's life, what we can learn about um, how we are to be people who are sharing the gospel. First of all, uh, look at this. He, he saw the value of individual people. Let us not fall into the trap of not seeing individuals for the crowd. You know, so, so sometimes um, I, I think when we hear things like, you know, New Mexico is a, is a, is a country, not a nation. That's, that's wrong. Um, New, it's not Texas after all, right? <laughs> New, New Mexico is, a, when we hear things like New Mexico is a state that's 90% lost, I think sometimes it's, it's easy just to, to get latched onto that number and to not realize that in those 90% are coworkers and neighbors and friends. So let's not lose sight of individuals for the crowds, because do you know how we go about reaching New Mexico? One person at a time. One conversation at a time. Andrew didn't go and preach to a crowd. He went and found one and brought one to Jesus. In fact, get this, almost every time we see Andrew in the gospel accounts, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. We'll, we'll see another story in just a second. See, Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. That's one. In John 6, which we're going to look at in just a, just a moment, he brought a boy with his lunch to Jesus. And yet, look at what God has done through the one. In fact, Andrew, some have even called him the the first home missionary because of the Jewish people that he brought to Jesus. See, see, here's the thing. Most people, even now, most people don't come to Christ uh, as an immediate response to a sermon they hear in in a gathering like this. It happens. Right? We, we see that from time to time. But most of the time, that's not the way it works. Most of the time, it comes because of the influence of an individual. Like Andrew, who brought one, brought Peter, and then Peter, who preached on the day of Pentecost and saw 3,000 people saved. So think about this. All the fruit of Peter's ministry is ultimately the fruit of Andrew's faithful witness. I wonder if you've heard the name of Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher in Boston who led an 18-year-old boy by the name of D.L. Moody to Christ. Now, Edward Kimball went to a Boston shoe store where, where Moody was working. He cornered him in the stockroom and he introduced him to Christ. Now, now, Edward was not a bold, outgoing evangelist. In fact, he was known as a timid, maybe even a soft-spoken man. And, and the story, he tells that he went to that shoe store frightened, shaking, and, and not really sure whether or not he had the courage to, to actually confront this man with the gospel. God had laid D.L. Moody on this man's heart said, I know I need to go share, but I don't know if I have the words. I don't know if I have the courage to actually do it. 
actually say it. D.L. Moody, on the other hand, at this point in his life was crude, illiterate, and Kimball said he trembled in his boots as he shared the gospel. But this young man, D.L. Moody, had begun to attend Edward Kimball's Sunday school class. He was untaught, ignorant about the Bible. So Kimball said, I decided I needed to share Christ to talk to D.L. about his soul. So he said, I started downtown to Holton's Shoe Store. When I was nearly there, I began to wonder whether I ought to just to go just then during business hours. And I thought maybe my mission might embarrass the boy. And when I went away, the other clerks might ask who I was. And when they learned, might taunt Moody and ask if I was trying to make a good boy out of him. While I was pondering over it all, I passed the store without noticing it. Then when I found I had gone by the door, I determined to make a dash for it and have it over at once. So he goes into the store, he finds D.L. Moody back in the stockroom and spoke to him with what he called limping words. And later he said, I, could, <clears throat> I never could remember what I said, something about Christ and his love, and that was all. In fact, he himself called it a weak appeal. But D.L. Moody, right then and there, gave his heart to Christ. Now, fast forward, and through the early part of the 20th century, tens of thousands testified that they came to Christ under Moody's ministry. Moody led a man by the name of C.T. Studd, who became a pioneer missionary, and a guy named William Chapman, who also became a well-known evangelist. Moody founded the Moody Bible Institute that's trained thousands of people for ministry in the Chicago area. And on down through that line, eventually comes a young man by the name of Billy Graham. Now stop and think about that for just a second. One man, on a quest to go share the gospel with one other person, scared to death, trembling in his boots, can't even remember what he says, something about Christ and uh, sin and Christ's love, and that was it. And God used that to save a young man by the name of D.L. Moody, who became a great evangelist, saw tens of thousands come to faith in Christ. And through witnessing and sharing and seeing people come to faith in Christ, eventually a young man by the name of Billy Graham comes to faith in Christ, who preached to millions. In fact, I've read some sociologists who say that Billy Graham has preached to more people than anyone else in history. And in fact, now, because of the technology that we have and, and, and the way that events worked in the 1950s and 60s versus how they work now, it's possible that no single person will ever again speak to as many people as Billy Graham did during his lifetime. Now, now listen, we, we don't discount God's sovereignty in this process, okay? But rather, if, if we believe that God is sovereign and that God alone can save, and, and yet that he has called us as his people to be faithful to share the gospel with other people, should God's sovereignty not motivate us to share the gospel? 
Because if we believe that God's sovereign, that means that, that I believe then when I enter into a conversation with somebody about Jesus, that even if my voice is trembling and I'm shaking and I don't really know what I'm saying, that God's already at work in their hearts preparing them to hear what I would have to say. Andrew shared with one person, his brother. Peter shared with thousands what he learned from Jesus because his brother said, Peter, we found the one who's called the Christ and you need to come see. Saw the value of individual people. He also saw the value of insignificant gifts. Now, now think about this just for a second. So if we go to uh, John chapter 6, verses 8 and 9, this is the... Uh, This is the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And this is how the story goes. We're going to pick up in verse 4. I believe verses 8 and 9 are on the screen. But verse 4 says, Now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. So when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, Where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? He asked this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Don't you love that about Jesus? Like, he already knew what was going to happen. He just goes, hey, Philip, uh, you know, where, where are we going to find food for all these people, man? That's a lot of people. Here's his test. And Philip answered, 200 denarii, denari- denarius was a day's wage, okay? 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. At which point Jesus goes, Still got more work to do with you, Philip. There's one of his disciples, Andrew. Hey, looky here. Simon Peter's brother said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? So here we have Andrew. As we said, Andrew's a bringer of people to Jesus, right? So he brings this boy to Jesus. Hey, I found this kid. He's got lunch. In fact, the, the word that's used there for fish is actually uh, describing something like a sardine. Okay, so, so don't think like a swordfish, okay? He's, he's got, got five barley loaves and two fish. And, then, and I love his next thing, right? But what are they for so many? I don't know what we're going to do with it, but this is what we got. This is what I found, okay? I figured if anybody, I mean, Jesus, this is what we got. You, you do whatever you can with it. And what we see here is that in the hands of Jesus, no gift is insignificant. In fact, remember this story in Luke 21. He looked up and saw the rich dropping their offerings into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow dropping in two tiny coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For all these people have put in gifts out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty has put in all she had to live on. In the hands of Jesus, no gift is insignificant. I taught on this uh, just recently on a Wednesday night, and, and, and I said, you know, the people brought their offerings, they would have had these big brass horns, and so as people are pouring in their money, it would have made a loud clanking sound, and, 
And there are probably some, some onlookers with oohs and ahs based on how much noise the, the offering made. You know, somebody was given $100, they'd go like cash it out into pennies so that they had a lot to pour in and it would last a long time. And then, then here comes this lady. A poor widow. Just two pennies. Clank. Clank. And walked away. I, I doubt anyone else really even noticed, and if they did, probably only either in, out of mockery or in pity. And yet Jesus wants his disciples to understand what's going on. That She put in all she had, and to Jesus, those two pennies, that small gift becomes significant. In, in the membership class that I taught this morning, and in, in our, in our kind of statement or our mission statement or purpose statement or whatever you want to call it, where we say we just want to be a church that, that, uh, that loves, that serves, and that gives, so we're told that we, we give out of faith in Christ. We give um, recognizing that God owns everything and we own nothing. We give out of obedience to what he's called us to. And we give trusting his promise that he takes our gifts and he multiplies. And that's exactly what we pray every Sunday when we have gathered the offering. We pray that God will take them and multiply them for the sake of his kingdom. See, it's not the amount of the gift. It's not the greatness of the gift. But it's the greatness of the God to whom it's given. God takes the sacrificial and maybe even the seemingly insignificant gifts of people who give faithfully and he multiplies them to accomplish big things. Andrew recognized that. So, so again, listen, as we're talking about one, don't, don't underestimate the value of of insignificant gifts. Don't underestimate the value of buying a cup of coffee for someone. I can tell you, if you go to Plateau Espresso, you can get a cup of black coffee for a buck fifty-seven, and it's bottomless. You know what? That that could buy you two hours of time with somebody, and enough caffeine to fuel a small country. Don't underestimate the value of a meal, of, of a simple gesture saying, I, I'm praying for you today. If we trust that when we actually put money into the offering plate, why wouldn't we trust that as we're giving of our time, that God would do, do the same thing, that he would take seemingly small things, and multiply them for the sake of his kingdom. Finally, we see that Andrew saw the value of inconspicuous service. As we said, we don't know much about Andrew. We know he was Simon Peter's brother. We, we know that he was a fisherman. We know that he brought people to Jesus. We, we know that's, that's what he's known for is bringing people to Jesus. He brought Simon Peter. He brought the boy with the loaves and the fishes. 
And Andrew gives us a picture of those who labor quietly in humble places. He gives us the picture of those who serve in ministries and in local churches and are never up front on a stage. In fact, they, like the panic attack would, would ultimately ensue to stand up here. And yet this is what Ephesians 6.6 6 tells us, what Paul writes there. He says, don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, do God's will from your heart. See, Andrew didn't so much being, mind being hidden as long as the work was being done. And he was a leader with a servant's heart. And as far as we know, at least in the Bible, we're never told that he preached to multitudes or that he founded any churches. And yet, hear this. Now, we, we don't have this in the Bible, but we, we can learn some things from, from tradition and church history and what the, what the early church fathers have taught us. And In church history, tradition tells us that Andrew took the gospel north into Russia, possibly even into Scotland. History tells us he was ultimately crucified in Achaia, which is in southern Greece near Athens. One, one account says that he actually led a wife of a, pro, of a provincial Roman governor to Christ and that it infuriated her husband. So he demanded that his wife recant her devotion to Christ and she refused. So the governor had Andrew crucified. The, the history account then says that, that Andrew was lashed to the cross instead of nailed in order to prolong his suffering. And tradition tells us that it was an X-shaped cross. And most accounts say he hung on the cross for two days. And as he was doing so, he was preaching the gospel, calling on passersby to turn to Christ for salvation. What's the value of one? See, the world might tell us that in order to be significant, we need to be up front. We need, our name needs to be known. We need to do things so that other people see them. So that we can be applauded. We can get pats on the back. And yet here in the example of Andrew, we see someone who is almost the exact opposite of that, who labored unanimously, for, for whom we, we will probably never know the full extent of his impact in the kingdom of God this side of glory. Could it be that that's what God's calling us to as well? A life serving Christ, raising kids, loving neighbors, sharing the gospel with Folks, as we have the opportunity, but laboring in obscurity and anonymity, and never seeing the fruit of our the, the full fruit of our labor this side of heaven. Well, that sounds foolish. Well, I'm glad you say that. You make good statements and you ask good questions. Because this is what Paul wrote in First Corinthians. He said, instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, 
to bring to nothing what is viewed as something so that no one may boast in his presence. See, here's the thing. When God takes acts of service that are done in obscurity and anonymity, when he takes things like a dollar in the offering plate or a cup of coffee with a non-believer, and he uses those for the sake of his kingdom, what's put on display is not us and our awesomeness, but him and his awesomeness. So let us labor to see God and his kingdom expanded. Maybe you're here this morning and you would say that you have never come to Jesus. Maybe folks have invited you. Maybe they've told you about the good news of Jesus. Maybe you've heard it. Maybe maybe you're here this morning simply because somebody said, hey, come and see. Or because maybe you find yourself this morning Desperate, not sure where else to go, so, so you wandered into a church figuring that was as good a place as any. Let, let me tell you, none of us is here by accident this morning. Either we have someone in our lives with whom we need to share this message, or we're the one who needs to hear this message. And if that latter is you, if, you, if you're here this morning and you'd say, I, 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 I know I need to come to know Christ, I have a simple prayer that you can pray. There's no magic formula. There's, these aren't magic words. It's just a, some words for you to verbalize to to Jesus this morning, asking him to forgive your sins. And that's this, my life is broken. I recognize it's because of my sin. I need you. I believe Christ came to live, die, and was raised from the dead to rescue me from my sin. Forgive me. I turn from my selfish ways and put my trust in you. I know that Jesus is Lord of all, and I will follow him. Maybe that's you today and you prayed that for the very first time. If that's the case, I'd love to visit with you in just a moment as we stand to sing and as we um, respond to the, the work that we've heard, the, the word that we've heard this morning. At any rate, I hope that you'll take some time and pray. Pray for the ones that are back here. Pray specifically for your one that, that you'd have an opportunity this week to share. That God might reveal to you a, a seemingly insignificant, simple way that you can share the love of Christ with your one this week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the example of Andrew. And the almost anonymous way that he went about his life. He, and yet he was faithful to share the gospel with others. As he brought his brother Simon Peter to Jesus. As he brought the boy with the, with the loaves and the fish to Jesus, not sure what was going to happen, but trusting that in the hands of Christ, that small gift could be multiplied. I pray that we would follow his example. That we would not underestimate the value of one life, one person, one conversation, one act of service, one gift. So we pray you would take those simple things and work powerfully in them in the way that only you can.
We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 1030. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening and may God bless you this week.